0: This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, a people's history. From memes to movements, see how this powerful online community shapes culture and society. Black Twitter, a people's history, is now streaming on Hulu. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Brittany Luce, and I am so sorry to all of you who don't treat the first Monday in May as a national holiday. The day we all judge the best and worst in fashion from the comfort of our beds. I'm talking, of course, about the Met Gala, whose theme this year was Karl Lagerfeld, the late controversial fashion designer who led the House of Chanel for years. If you've somehow escaped the Getty image red carpet photos of Rihanna or Doja Cat or Jared Leto, Honestly, kudos to you. The Met looks are inescapable. And my next guest, Marjan Carlos, a fashion journalist and former Vogue writer, stayed up way too late at a Met gala after party getting the tea for me.
1: It was fun. It, w- it was really, really fun. I was like, I cannot be this lit on a Monday. Um, <laughs> but all the girls were there. They were. Ooh, when you say the girls, like, we got to give the people specificity. I saw Kendall Jenner, I saw Kylie, I saw Bad Bunny, I oh. saw SZA. I don't know if Rihanna was there because I did leave at <laughs> 2 a.m. So I don't know if she came after I left or she mm. went to another party. But it was packed. Um, so let's get into it because we
0: didn't have you out here leaving a party early <laughs> and possibly missing Rihanna um, to not get to what we need to get to. What are your most memorable moments from the Met Gala?
1: You know, I, I believe that Anne Hathaway and Rihanna were like the winners of last night. And people can fight me, mm. you know. I felt mm. like they they stole the show. I felt like they imbued the essence of Chanel and Karl Lagerfeld. And they also had, they sold it to us, mm. those two really stood out as a winners. But there were also a lot of other incredible moments. Doja Cat. Yes. <laughs> Doja Cat had full
0: feline cat face-like prosthetics while wearing this beautiful, like sparkle-encrusted white floor-length gown yes. that also had a matching headpiece that kind of had little cat ears that reminded me of the Michelle Pfeiffer Catwoman cat mm. Sort of headpiece, yeah. It was like a beautiful, sparkling helmet that just perfectly framed this cat face. To me, that was like an obvious call out to Karl Lagerfeld's beloved cat Chupette, yes. um, yeah. Like, um,
1: <laughs> it was, and I love the way that you <laughs> described it. I definitely feel like it was like this cat woman helmet, and um. You know, I liked that. I liked that there was camp on the red carpet. Mm-hmm. It wasn't so serious because a lot of people, I feel like they're so concentrated on being tasteful that they don't have fun. And yes. I, I appreciated the camp of it all. <laughs> yes, <exactly. laughs>
0: it all. I think when I think about my favorite looks, like I loved Anne Hathaway's dress. She wore this beautiful Versace gown that also recalled a lot of elements of the House of Chanel, also recalled a lot of the ways that Karl Lagerfeld would remix a lot of mm-hmm. the house elements of Chanel, such as the chains and the camellia flowers and all of the white. But it had a very like 90s, oh, and, and tweet, of course. Yes, yes, and it, and it had a very early to mid '90s Versace cutout kind of like yeah. laced up, exposing skin kind of moment. Also, I think a lot of people saw Cardi B's outfit. Yes, this huge voluminous like it almost it was like very shiny. Lots of black yeah. camellias. She had like this sort of gray, this big grayish white wig that kind of recalled. <clears throat> Carl's like sort of like powdered white ponytail. I felt like a lot of the best looks of the night, even from the men as well, like Harvey Guillen and Taika Waititi, Brian Tyree Henry, Bad Bunny also kind of went for it with the fun, the daring, the sort of more cartoony elements um, of interpreting a lot of Carl Lagerfeld's work. Yeah, absolutely. I still felt like a lot of people played it safe, but I feel like the people that really went for it, I feel like it most frequently paid off last night and I was really into that.
1: I think so too. I don't I mean Carl Lagerfeld had a lot of signifiers, so it gave a lot of people room to play and I think the men were Probably very excited about that opportunity, right? I mean, mm-hmm. normally they just they come in black tuxes and they go home.
0: Yes, yes. I yes, mean, yes. I saw
1: Alton Mason did, did a moment with lace boots and you and know a full
0: white lacy outfit. Like he embodied the the bride. Like at the at the yes. end of a couture show, there's typically always some sort of white outfit that's changed over the years. It used to traditionally be a white wedding gown, thought of as like the bride look. And yes. Alton Mason, who is an incredibly statuesque and graceful model. He was like the perfect mannequin for this white lace head-to-toe bridal look. It was incredible.
1: It it looked like it was a jumpsuit and and there was like a corsetry and and then these beautiful boots and it was was a fantasy.
0: I agree with Marjan. There are winners and losers at the Met Gala and I'm declaring the night's winners as Doja Cat, Tiana Taylor, and Cardi B. Jared Leto, I'm sorry, but if you're listening, you lost. I dare you to at me. Coming up, we're getting deeper into this year's theme for the Met Gala, Carl Lagerfeld, and his, um, complicated legacy, and playing a special Met Gala game I'm calling Show Me the Receipts. We'll be right
2: back. This message comes from NPR sponsor Homes.com. You don't just live in your home, you live in your neighborhood as well. So when you're shopping for a home, you want to know as much about the area around it as possible. Luckily, Homes.com has got you covered. Each listing features a comprehensive neighborhood guide from local experts. Everything you'd ever want to know about a neighborhood, including the number of homes for sale, local amenities, and even things like median lot size and a noise score. Homes.com. We've done your homework. This message comes from NPR sponsor BritBox, streaming acclaimed original series you won't find anywhere else, with powerful performances from Jody Whittaker, Tamara Lawrence, Bella Ramsey, Matthew McFadden, and more. Streaming at BritBox.com NPR. Support for NPR and the following message come from Sattva. Sattva luxury mattresses are every bit as elegant as the most expensive brands, but because they're sold online, they're about half the price visit slash npr and save an additional
0: $200. This message comes from The Run Through with Vogue. Listen as designers, Vogue editors, and industry icons like Erica Badu and Florence Pugh have in-depth conversations about fashion and culture. New episodes are released each Thursday wherever you get your podcasts. So the whole theme of the Met Gala this year was about Karl Lagerfeld. (laughs) An interesting selection for the theme. Mm -hmm. But before we get into, you know, a lot of the breathtaking design as well as the um, not-so-cute elements of Karl's (laughs) legacy, (laughs) first, what do you think of him?
1: I mean, when I was looking at the archival imagery of him from, like, those early 90s... Fashion shoots that he was doing for American Vogue, he really created such an aesthetic. And I mean, in a lot of ways, he was like a young savant in the design world because hmm. he came up very young and he did a lot very quickly. There's also, you know, he's always had a, he always had a fan. He had signifiers. I think he understood like if you're a, if yes. you're a fashion person, there there's like. T- your your tells, right, or uniform that you wear, kind of like armor in a way, and he created his own world. I think that's what a lot of fashion people do. They create their own worlds, they live in it, and that's how they kind of survive.
0: Yeah, very effectively. I mean, I think about another one of my favorite looks from last night. Tiana Taylor's look in Tom Brown was phenomenal. I think what made her, her look work so well is not only did it suit her perfectly, yes. but it also... Featured so much Karl Lagerfeld iconography. I think of Karl Lagerfeld as somebody who had so many different points of iconography because you could see a silhouette just referencing him and immediately know who it is. The little ponytail, which (laughs) Tiana Taylor had the perfect (laughs) little kind of like tiny little like porridge, little
1: hang time (laughs) ponytail in the back. She had the sunglasses, which he always was Mm -hmm. wearing. If you're going to be a a legendary designer, I think that you need to have some visual marking and signatures like that, that people can recognize a mile away. That's what makes Mm -hmm. you last. I mean, he also had that not just for himself, though. He also
0: had those visual signifiers for his clothing. I I wonder, is there any style? Because, you know, we got to give people something to visualize. Is there any style that people might be wearing now
1: that we can credit to Karl Lagerfeld. We have to give it up to the pearls. Men are wearing pearls with a vengeance now. (laughs) And I think that that is such a a signature Karl move. Pearls are
0: associated with like Coco Chanel, um, who started the House of Chanel. Also somebody with a very uh, (laughs) not-so-cute legacy. Despite how people think about the clothes, her Nazi past is something that's been discussed more in in recent years but the pearls that are so often associated with Chanel originally sort of come from her as like a favorite and they are it's a part of sort of like the house code that Karl Lagerfeld and any Chanel designer had to follow as being like the creative director of that brand but i 100% agree with you his interpretation of that house code mm-hmm created this different visual lexicon for how people incorporate pearls into an outfit that is something that feels particular to Karl Lagerfeld himself, as opposed to something that is only a Chanel type of thing. Yes, You know, we've been gesturing at this uh, thus far in our conversation, but to really jump into it, Karl Lagerfeld is also a figure... Very worthy of critique. Yeah. He had some very controversial thoughts. He's shared, you know, his thoughts about fatphobia, yes. saying that nobody wants to see curvy women. Yes. Homophobia at times, racism. He's made disparaging remarks about the Me Too movement and also against immigrants even you know in his later years as it, i'm talking like as recently as possibly 2017 um you know misogynistic remarks i mean mm-hmm. in some ways he was a very hyperbolic speaker and like even i mean i'd be lying if i said that i don't chuckle from time to time when i read some of his remarks about disliking children <laughs> and short men they're like, <laughs> like <same. laughs> implying that short men like feel bad about being short and so they kind of want to take it out on everybody. I think he said actually like they they hate it about themselves and they want to kill you. Like that is hyperbole. But also, I mean, there's a lot of really messed up things that he said over the years. I can appreciate his craft, but I feel like you also have to look at the uglier parts of his legacy as well.
1: Absolutely. And I definitely remember his fat phobia being a major a concern at one point. And and he himself battled weight. I think his opinions around fat phobia, around who should be represented on the runways, it's outdated. And so many people in the fashion industry think like that. And I think it's unfortunately reflective of a very, very ugly side of the industry, you know? Yes, 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 yes. I felt
0: like there was not a lot of critique of Carl. I mean, I'll say this. I watched the Vogue red carpet coverage. <laughs> right. Right. Which is, you know, live streamed on YouTube. And so I I can't say that I necessarily expected that. I was disappointed to see this really distinguished publication, Vogue, mm-hmm. not want to embrace all of the legacy and right. to be able to kind of look at it with fresh eyes. That was something that felt kind of surprising to me is Fashion and history are both topics that invite and require a lot of conversation, simulating conversation. And I felt like having Karl Lagerfeld as the theme was a good opportunity to do that. But I just didn't see that being engaged in the online video broadcast commentary that I saw. But I I wonder, did you see any sort of critique around? And, And if you did or did not, what did you think about that?
1: I didn't see as much critique. I agree with you it was more like an homage mm-hmm. i will say that you know vogue has an interesting approach to critique i don't think that they're in the business of critique if they don't if they don't like something they don't talk about it hmm. Hmm. so i was not hmm. surprised that there was no like oh well we should have this critical conversation around his Body dysmorphia and his views on, on on women's bodies and and weight and and racism and homophobia. I'm not surprised by that.
0: We noticed when we were preparing for this conversation that Monday morning, Anna went towards on CBS Morning News and she said, you know, obviously Carl was a complicated man, and I think Andrew's decision, meaning. Andrew Bolton, who's curating this exhibition, Andrew's decision was really to focus on the work, and it's not a biography. There are documentaries and books that cover all sides of Carl's life. We are really focusing on his work, she said. Um, But, you know, to your point, all of these other aspects of Carl's life and his worldview informed how the work was produced. Yes. And what the work was meant to celebrate and highlight. And I feel like you kind of can't pull those things apart.
1: That's my opinion. <laughs> I feel like it's it's business as usual at that publication. Mm, mm-hmm. Business as usual.
0: I wonder what is being said to us in him being honored in that way? What is being said to us as um, consumers or even just like a, a fashion uh appreciating audience.
1: I guess it's asking the viewer to compartmentalize, right? Like you have to like put this person over here for now and put your feelings aside and mm-hmm. just look at the body of work. That's very exhausting, especially for critical minds who are like, Hey, this is really beautiful. But I also would like to talk about how he engaged with the world mm. because his worldview is obviously put into the collections. And if, I'm at odds with that at times. It makes me feel awkward when I'm engaging with the work, (laughs) even honoring the work by going to see it at the exhibit. I know that at at that publication, there's also a very strong ethos of like, where is the fashion? And I think it's asked of you all the time of like, as writers or editors, like, where is the fashion? Because you you were a senior writer at Vogue. Yes. I worked there and... um, you know, I was constantly asked of like, where is the fashion? And I really had to balance between being political and just looking at clothes objectively, right? Mm-hmm. And and taking my identity out of it. I've never really been able to do that. Um, I mean, I can in like a very concrete way be like, that is a pleated skirt. You know, like I, I, can, I, can, <laughs> I can I can I can look at fashion in that way. But I also am just like, hmm, this is like really interesting that um, this collection is coming about it during this time and we're seeing this trend in in the industry. I definitely question constantly how the work is being made and under what context. Hmm. But I think that an ethos at that publication is just like, where is a fashion? And they try to sweep everything else Hmm. underneath the rug, so to speak. I mean, also
0: too, I mean, it's it's also a publication that like, when I think about like, um, how different, say like, you know, I think about like Robin Gavon at, at at Washington Post or even yeah. Rachel Rachel Tashian, who's also now um, at the Washington Post, or someone like a Terry Agins, who mm-hmm. was, I believe, at the Wall Street Journal for a long time. When you think about those sorts of fashion journalists, Washington Post is not dependent. Wall Street Journal is not dependent on getting advertising dollars from the same brands that they're critiquing. I think about Kathy Horn, you know, who's a, a, exactly. you know, a fashion editor at the New York Times for a long time. She kind of
1: she got disinvited from Jacobs. They were like, we don't want you there
0: she bemoaned and remarked upon the fact that his show started uh, very late. And so she had her invitation revoked after that. It seems like those editors and writers might also have like, there's a different editorial tack from a newspaper as opposed to like a fashion publication that also has this complicated relationship with brands and that they need that advertising money to to continue forward.
1: You Absolutely. Know, I mean, I'd say American Vogue is very commercial in that respect and it acts as a retailer and to have very outspoken or progressive views may affect those relationships.
0: Coming up, Marjan and I are playing a special game in honor of fashion's biggest night that I'm calling Show Me the Receipts. We'll be right back. Okay, so today, in honor of the Matt Gala, we are going to test Marjan's knowledge on price tags in a game that we are calling Show Me the Receipts.
1: I want to see the receipts. I'm a toxic shopper, so I might be really good at this. (laughs) Oh, right.
0: All right. So this game is loosely based on one of the games from The Price is Right. Love. And how it works is I'm going to present you with two things that you could buy, and you have to guess which one is more expensive. Okay. One of the examples will be Met Gala themed, and the other will be an extravagant thing that our producer, Corey Antonio, found. Does that make sense? Yes. All righty, let's go. Okay. First up. The cost of a ticket to the Met Gala this year, 2023, or the cost of a new 2023 Cadillac sedan.
1: Oh, the ticket to the Met Gala is more expensive.
0: <laughs> <laughs> ding ding ding. You were you were right. You were right. I don't know if like buying Cadillacs is a part of your toxic <laughs> shopping habits, but <laughs> yes, the cost of a Met Gala ticket is reportedly $50,000 and the cost of a Cadillac sedan 2023 retails at what now feels like a steal $39,295. The ticket is more expensive.
1: Yes, that's wow. crazy. And The tables are they're out of control. Ooh, woo, woo, woo. That's why a lot of people have to be sponsored. I mean, it's it's a whole thing. I mean, these brands get together and they buy these tables mm-hmm. that are hundreds of thousands of dollars. So next up.
0: The cost of one night in the Carlisle Hotel, the hotel where many celebrities used to get ready. It is a famous five-star hotel in New York City. I myself personally have never stayed there, but I'm open to it. <laughs> or dinner for two at one of San Francisco's fanciest restaurants, Atelier Crenn. Named for Dominique Crenn. For context, it has a Michelin star, and there was an episode of Chef's Table made about the
1: place slash chef. A night stay at the Carlisle probably starts around eight to nine hundred dollars, and then dinner for two probably would be like five hundred, not including alcohol. So I'm going to go with the dinner.
0: Mmm. This one you didn't get. Oh, we found rooms starting from thirteen hundred dollars, which yeah. seems to be the standard. Yeah, um, to the premier suite for nine thousand dollars, whereas a fixed tasting menu at Atelier Crane is 475 seventy five a person. So the hotel is technically more, but I'd say they're pretty close. It's
1: around there, right? Like that's kind of where the five star mm-hmm, hotel. Mm-hmm. Starts not. I'm not acting like I can afford such. I just, <laughs> I just know these things because I'm a toxic shopper. Like I'm like, hmm. I'd like love those, to go
0: there. You like those people on the Prices Right who like know the price of Tropicana orange juice down to the cent? Because you're like, I'm in the grocery store all the time, I'm literally like.
1: online, constantly looking for things, constantly. So this is very interesting. <laughs> okay one
0: one last question in our little game is it more expensive to buy a table at the Met Gala or is it more expensive to charter a private jet to Nairobi and back home to New York?
1: I'm going to go with the table because it's hundreds of thousands of dollars. (laughs) I I, I don't know the price to get on a a private jet, but I'm going to go with the Met dinner. I have to say, so these prices are pretty
0: close, but you are absolutely right. The cost of a table at the Met Gala is reported to be somewhere between two seventy five dollars and $300,000 and the cost of a private jet charter to and from Nairobi, because of course, you know, I'm saying we want to go on vacation, but also it's good to come home as well. It is quoted around $226,380. The table at the Met Gala is more expensive, although... Wow, I'm like, I would would I love a private jet charter to Nairobi? Absolutely,
1: I would. I, I, I prefer it. I just to say to say that I did. <laughs> yeah, to have my like moment, and then I'd be like, okay, this is horrible for the environment. The environment. <laughs> <laughs> horrible. Our producer Cory
0: Antonio commented. He's he's messaging right now. You absolutely ate that. You. <laughs> You absolutely murdered this game. You would be an assassin on prices right.
1: <laughs> so I this is not one of the best traits that I have, but it is a trait that I have where I'm just always shopping and I'm constantly thinking about price.
0: <laughs> oh well, Marjan, thank you so much for joining me today to talk about all things Met Gala this conversation has fed my soul and scratched my, my, I need to talk about the Met
1: Gala itch. So thank you so much. (laughs) It was a whirlwind night. This was a fantastic way to do it. And I just appreciate having the opportunity.
0: That was fashion journalist and editor Marjan Carlos. This episode was produced by Corey Antonio Rose and Barton Girdwood. Our editor was Jessica Plachik. I'm Brittany Luce, and we'll be back on Friday for another episode of It's Been a Minute from NPR. Talk soon, y'all.
2: This advertisement comes from our paid sponsor, Fundrise. High interest rates mean that real estate assets are available at a discount compared to previous valuations. The Fundrise flagship fund plans to expand its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. Add the Fundrise Flagship Fund to your portfolio at fundrise.com NPR. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the fund before investing. Read the prospectus at fundrise.com flagship. This message comes from NPR sponsor Grammarly. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise, and everyone would be more productive. That's what happens when you give Grammarly to your entire team. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said, done.